0: Exodus chapter 5 through chapter 6, verse 13. And follow along as I read God's word. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from the work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, And you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cried, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered scattered throughout all the land of Egypt, to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work Your daily task each day as when there was straw and the foremen of the people of Israel whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them were beaten and asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, make bricks and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, "'You are idle. You are idle. That's why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks.' The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce their number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge.' because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, from whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me, for I am of uncircumcised lips? But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Our Heavenly Father, as we have read your word, we pray now that you would speak to our hearts by it, that you would apply it to our hearts, that we would learn about who you are, And about what you expect of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been told anything that you believed and then you got on down the road a little bit and you figured out it wasn't really true after all. It wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. All the promises that were made to you weren't fulfilled. Have you ever been like that? Advertisements are a lot like that. I used to think that duct tape would fix anything. Any of you believe that? It fixes a lot of things. I, I can attest to that myself. But this past week, I've, I've tried to fix a couple things with it. Um, my headliner on my car, I don't know if you've noticed, it looks pretty ugly, but it's starting to hang down. You know how that happens with old cars? I could not figure out a way to fix that. And I didn't want to pay the money to, to get it fixed professionally, so I thought duct tape. Maybe duct tape will do it. Some nice, nice, classy black duct tape. So I stuck it up there, and it stuck for about a day. And it didn't work like I thought it would. And then Isaiah had a, a pop tire on his bicycle. I thought, well, maybe I can use some duct tape. That'll fix it. So I wrapped it around the, the tube and put it in there, and sure enough, it didn't work. The promises that, that I had in my mind about duct tape weren't fulfilled. And then this happens with us in many different ways. Like I said, advertisements and Other people that make promises to us that end up not fulfilling them. But what about Christianity? You know that some people are told things about Christianity and what it will do for them that turn out not to be true and then they leave it all together. Think about some things that are told to people. If they become a Christian, if if you become a Christian, it will fix all your problems. Maybe some are promised. If you accept Jesus, if you receive Jesus, then your marriage will be fixed. Everything will just go smoothly from here on out. Your life, your life will be fixed. No more hard times. You won't have to worry about anything anymore. It will all be fixed. Some people have ended up, maybe you, have believed this lie that when you become a Christian, nothing bad will happen to you. Nothing bad will happen to your family as long as you do what the Lord tells you to do. As long as you accept Jesus and just do what He tells you to do, your life should be smooth sailing. Some people believe in what we could call a state farm gospel. Right? You know the jingle, State Farm, like a good neighbor, state farm is there and they have the commercial of two guys sitting in a car in buffalo start charging them. And they say, like a good neighbor, and the guy shows up, it takes them right out of there, they're safe. Some people believe that God is like that. If you just say the magic words, or if you just do the right thing, nothing will go wrong. And if something does go wrong, your insurance will come and fix it. It'll give you a new house. It'll give you a new car. It'll give you a new life that has no problems. Our story from Exodus 5 and 6 shows us that that is not what the Bible teaches about God's people. We see an example here of terribly difficult circumstances that the Israelites were in. God had promised that He was going to save them, that He was going to rescue them. Moses and Aaron go and tell the people, and do you remember how the people responded? They believed. The scripture says they believed and they worshiped God, they received it with joy. Moses and Aaron obeyed God and they told Pharaoh, let my people go, let us go out into the wilderness. And how did Pharaoh respond? Who is the Lord? He responds by treating the Israelites with even more harshness than he was before, which was already terrible. Always, it was already, they were already being beaten and worked to death. And now he works them even harder. And then the blame game takes place. Pharaoh blames the people for being lazy. The people blame Moses. And Moses blames God. Our story and our text teaches us something about the Christian life, it teaches us something about what it means to follow God. The life of obedience to God is full of difficulties and trials. And it's only when we have a proper understanding of all of this that we can trust and obey God even in the midst of those difficulties. I think we can learn from this text in several ways. First, we must understand that the call to follow after Christ is a call to suffer. A call to obey God is a call to suffer. Moses and Aaron obeyed God. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh responds mockingly. Who is the Lord? Who is this Yahweh that you're speaking of? I don't know who he is. Now, probably he had heard it of him at this point. But he was, he was kind of like saying, who is this guy? That he's going to take my people away from me and call them his people. These are my people. They belong to me. They will serve me. I will not let them go. The people persist. Moses and Aaron persist a little bit. And so Pharaoh blames them of trying to get the people out of work. Blames them of being lazy like children trying to get out of their chores. Coming up with excuse after excuse. You say you want to worship just because you want to get out of your work. And on top of that, he increases their work. He makes unreasonable demands. Not only do you have to keep building the same... Uh, making the same amount of bricks, now you have to go find your own straw. We're not going to provide it for you. The harvest season may have been over, which is why it says they had to go collect stubble from the fields. Collecting stubble in order to make bricks, the same amount of bricks that they would have had to make before. Now the people, we can see, were not prepared for this. They didn't understand that following God would mean suffering. They didn't understand that doing what Moses had said, they didn't understand that being delivered out of slavery meant there would still be suffering ahead of them. No, it's no different for us today. The call to trust and obey God is a call to suffer. The call to follow Christ is a call to suffer. Think about all the instances of Scripture that speak in this way. Jesus says in John fifteen twenty, No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. That's why Paul said in Philippians 3, that he counted everything as lost for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus his Lord. He counted everything as lost. Nothing was worth being compared to knowing Jesus Christ. To suffer for Christ means to count everything as loss for Him. The call to follow Christ, the call to obey God, means that we understand that this world has fallen into sin, that that bad things happen because of our sin, and expecting various trials. You know what James chapter 1 says, Consider it joy, my brothers, when you encounter what kind of trials? Various kinds of trials because you know through those through the testing of your faith the Lord is producing endurance. And then in Luke 9:23 Jesus says, "If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me." See, if anyone in the whole world deserved to live without suffering, without difficulties, without trials, it was Jesus. He perfectly obeyed everything that His heavenly Father had told Him to do. He perfectly lived as the Lord wanted Him to, as His Father wanted Him to. And yet He denied Himself. He took up His cross and died on it for sinners like us. He deserved to have the easy way. He deserved to have a smooth sailing life. And yet He died on the cross, suffering Under the weight of sin, as we just sang about in the power of the cross. He took the shame. He bore the wrath of God for sinners like us who deserve his punishment. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The call to follow Christ is a call to understand also that the gospel Creates a clash of two cultures. So this command, uh, this obedience of Moses, telling Pharaoh, let my people go. And the people, believing in God, trusting in God, this created a clash of cultures. Between those who were the people of God and between Pharaoh and his people, the Egyptians. It's like when I was a kid, using matchbox cars. Crashing them together. My brother and I would just spend hours just crashing those cars into each other, having a great time. And the gospel creates this sort of clash between two cultures. Those who trust in God, those who believe in Him, those who believe uh, and obey Him. This is going to create some friction between those of us who follow Him and those who are in the world. Teenagers, think about this. Think about how this would create a clash of cultures between you and your fellow students in class with you. What about in terms of uh, sexual promiscuity? What about in terms of cheating? What about in terms of your commitments? Not only in the things that you don't do, that should be a clear distinction, but what about the things that you do? How do you treat other students, those who are excluded, those who are made fun of? The gospel, following Christ, creates a clash of cultures. It's the same for us too, adults. I wonder if perhaps the reason we're not suffering is because we're not obeying. We're not obeying the commands of the Lord to, to speak His name wherever we go, to seek to be a light to those in darkness. The scripture seems to expect that we believers will experience persecution because we're going against the grain of the culture. We're doing the exact opposite of the things that they do. We are to endure suffering with faith and hope. This is something the Israelites did not understand. They weren't expecting this. And we'll see that even more in our next point. First, we must understand that the call to follow Christ is a call to suffer. And second and related, we must reject what is often called the prosperity gospel. We must reject this prosperity gospel. The people, Moses included, the people and Moses did not understand that the call to trust and obey God was a call to suffer. Remember, they received the news with joy. We read that in the last chapter. They received the news with joy, but then they began to doubt. They began to fall away because of the harshness, because of the suffering. It's like a plant that sprouts up quickly. It looks alive, but it has no root in it. And so it dies away. They received the news with joy. But then began to doubt God. Perhaps we could say that they believed a sort of prosperity gospel. Notice how they responded to their suffering. Chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. It says, The foreman of the people of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. But they say to make bricks. Behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is your own people. First, they complained to Pharaoh. You're not being fair with us. This is not right. Not only that, they complained against Moses. Even though Moses was just doing what he was commanded to do by the Lord, they complained against him. The way they saw it, It was as if Moses had given a sword into the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians to kill them. As if Moses was now somehow a part of the enemy. See that in chapter 5 verses 20 and 21. They said to Moses, The Lord look on you and judge. Calling down the judgment of God on Moses. Because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and of his servants and have put a sword in their hands to kill us. They blamed Moses. What did Moses do? Moses complained against God. He did more than that. He accused God. Good chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? You, God, you're the one who has done evil. Why did you ever send me? I told you. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. You have not kept your promise, God. You promised to deliver your people. You haven't delivered them at all. They believed a prosperity gospel. They believed everything was going to be smooth sailing. What do I mean by prosperity gospel? Believing that if you do your part in obeying God, He will do His part of making your life good and easy. Believing that no harm will come to you if you're in God's will. Believing that God's plans for you only include health, wealth, and easy circumstances. For some people, obeying and serving God is all about them. It's all about what they receive. They're doing good for God, but really they're just doing good for themselves. It's really the results that they're after: a good, easy life. So what did the Israelites seem to believe here? It seems like they just believed everything would go smoothly. Moses and Aaron will OK, Moses and Aaron, they'll speak to Pharaoh, and he'll let us go free. He will speak to Pharaoh, he'll send us out. The time of slavery in Egypt is over. No more. We are free. And the third thing, we will go out from this place with gold and silver. We will plunder the Egyptians. That's what God said, right? We, you will go out and plunder the Egyptians. God said all those things, right? The time of slavery is, is over. Pharaoh will be nothing. You'll go free. You'll plunder them. But they overlooked some words of God. They overlooked something that God had said. What was it? I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let you go. Those hard words. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let you go. He said it to Moses in chapter 4, verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart. So that he will not let the people go. Moses and Aaron. we would assume. Said it to the people. In chapter 4 verse 30. Aaron spoke all the words. That the Lord had spoken to Moses. And did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard. That the Lord had visited the people of Israel. And that he had seen their affliction. They bowed their heads. In worship. They took God's good words and ignored God's hard words. I had an opportunity after high school to join the National Guard and I was thinking I would probably do it. Why? Because they're going to pay for school. They're going to pay for college and I can just go and have a free ride. If I would have done that, I would have ignored the difficult parts about joining the armed forces. What about if you go to war? And then if that had happened, I would have been devastated. That would have been difficult. That would have been something I wouldn't have expected. The Israelites, Moses, it appears, overlooked the hard words of God. Many of God's plans are hidden from our understanding. And even when he reveals his plans to us, as he did here with Moses, he doesn't always reveal his methods or his timetable. He didn't tell them how long it would take, he didn't tell them when they would go out from slavery. When we don't understand the suffering we're going through, it may be, though, because we have overlooked some of God's hard words. Some of the difficult words God speaks. Maybe we have unwittingly fallen for a prosperity gospel. Think about your own thoughts and beliefs towards God. Have you thought like this? Have you believed like this? If I give my tithe to the church, God will make sure that nothing bad happens to me. If I attend church and say my prayers and read my Bible like I'm supposed to, God will take care of my family and kids. Nothing bad will happen to them. If I do my part and live a godly life, God will do His part and make sure that I have plenty of money to be taken care of. Good health and happiness. Have you ever believed that? Have you ever begun to think in that way, if that's the case, you have fallen for a prosperity gospel. You have not fallen for the real gospel, but a fake gospel, a false gospel. The consequences of this will be terribly disappointing. It's not just an issue of seeing an advertisement promising something and saying, oh well, this is, this is doubting God kind of of disappointment. This is despairing that Christianity is even true. Some have left the faith because of this. Because they believe, if I become a Christian, then this will get better, or this will get fixed. And then when the promise wasn't fulfilled, they thought all of it was a joke. It will lead to disappointment with God. doubt, doubting God, and as we see here with the Israelites, blaming God. We must understand that the call to follow Christ is a call to suffer and we must reject this prosperity gospel. This is is something that you may have to change radically in your own thought process. But it's not something just to change in your thinking. This is also something to repent of. Believing wrongly about who God is. Using Him as kind of a cosmic butler to do things for us if we do things for Him. By Him serving us... If we obey Him and do what He says, it's also something to prepare for. I know that some of you have gone through suffering. I've heard some of your stories about what you've gone through. Some of you maybe haven't experienced it and you're thinking, this, this text, this point, it's not all that helpful to me. I haven't gone through much suffering. This life is filled with difficulties. This life is filled with troubles. And becoming a Christian doesn't mean those troubles just vanish out of thin air. There will still be difficulties. The answer comes in how you respond to those difficulties. How you you respond when suffering comes, when difficulties come. And the answer, the cure for persevering through suffering, is to revisit and to rest in the promises of God to revisit and rest in the promises of God. This is how the Lord responds to Moses and his accusations against him. Just look at the patience of God in this. Moses is blaming God, pointing his finger in the face of God, and Moses and God has patience with Moses. He doesn't just strike him down dead. As perhaps he should. The Lord treats us with great patience. Even when we accuse him to his face. Look at how he responds. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. With a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. I am the Lord. What God's doing here is reaffirming all of the promises that he had already spoken before. He. You can can look back in the previous chapters and see some of the exact same words. God is repeating Himself. He restates who He is. I am the Lord. I am the Lord of your fathers. Of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He repeats how He has worked in the past by even mentioning their names. He repeats how He is working and He repeats what He will do. All of these promises that he has already made to the Israelites, he restates them. He reaffirms them. What did I tell you the first time, Moses? Remember what I promised? All this I will do, and it 's for a purpose. Verse seven, You shall know that I am the Lord, your God. You shall know The purpose was that they would know the Lord. That they would know who He is, that they would know His character. They would know His faithfulness and power. The key to responding to suffering in our lives is to remember the words of God, to revisit what He has already said to us, what He has already promised to us, and then to rest in those promises. And knowing there's a purpose to the pain. You know, there's a purpose to our sufferings. There's a purpose to our difficulties. We don't know all of them. Some of them are hidden from us. But God wants us to know Him through our trials. The people of Israel weren't there yet. We see that in chapter 6 verse 9. How they responded. They, they didn't listen to Moses. Because of their broken spirit. And harsh slavery. Moses wasn't there yet. Look at how he responds in verse 12 of chapter 6. They didn't listen to me. I can't speak well. But the Lord again responded by reaffirming. His promises. When we're going through various trials, we must do this. We must revisit and rest in these promises of God. Not seeing them like promises that someone else has made to us. See, everyone else in the world fails in keeping their promises. Advertisements, they promise one thing but they can't deliver. People, you've been hurt by people, right? You've been hurt by broken promises of family and friends. Haven't kept up their end of the bargain, and sin makes promises that it cannot keep. In times of desperation, in times of sorrow, we may be tempted to sin. We may be tempted to sin, but sin is like a backstabbing friend. Treats you well, tells you everything's going to be okay, fulfills your desires, and then when you're trusting in it, then when you're you're counting on it, takes the knife and plunges it in your back. We cannot count on any of these things. But the gospel makes no promises that it cannot keep. God makes no promises that he does not keep. The Israelites aren't there yet, they've fallen because of their suffering. But when we're going through various trials, we need to remember the promises of God are sure. It's not, a, I hope they're sure. It's not, well, maybe they're sure. It's that they are statements of fact. Truths that we can stand on in the midst of our pain. When Rachel and I began the process of adoption, we were told many things to prepare us for what was ahead. Many things uh, that we would have to do and think about. Many forms to be filled out many training sessions to attend, but there were some things that we were not prepared for. In some ways, we think the adoption process for us was whitewashed. Yeah, there are some adoptions that fail and don't take place. There are some failed adoptions, but those are few and far between. They are rare until we experienced it. That was painful. We left the hospital empty-handed one day. And we weren't exactly told what to expect when that came. And how to respond when that came. But fortunately, we had trusted the Lord. We had committed to memory the scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. It was during that time we learned a lot about the Lord we learned a lot about who He was. It doesn't mean we, we didn't doubt God. We didn't. It's not that we uh, perfectly trusted Him and everything, but we were just clinging on to the promises of God. Lord, we know that you are sovereign over all things. We know that you are in control. We know that you love us. We know that you are good. What held us up in the midst of that pain and sorrow was not singing. The sun will come out tomorrow. The sun didn't come up for weeks. It was not just turning to someone else for help. It wasn't turning to some sin. The only thing that held us up during that time was revisiting and resting in the promises of God. That He was the Good Shepherd. That He was our Heavenly Father. And that in the life to come, none of this would compare to the glories that we would see at His right hand. And you know what? Even if He had not blessed us with two beautiful, wonderful children, He still would have been good. He still would have been righteous. He still would have been faithful. Because because He hasn't promised that this life would be easy. He hasn't promised that there would be no pain in this life. So for you, when you encounter sufferings, when you encounter trials, where will your hope be? What will your response be? Will you respond like the Israelites? Blaming whoever and anybody you can because of what's going on? Will you respond like Moses and point your finger to God and say, you did this. You're not keeping your promises to me. Or will you humbly Turn your eyes to Jesus who gave His life on the cross. Not that we would have easy life, but that we would be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life in heaven. Where is your hope? Is your hope that nothing bad will happen to you? Is your hope in some thing or in some person, some relationship that you're investing in? Where is your hope in the promise of God? The promises that He has made To his people. Let's turn our eyes to Jesus. He is our rock. He is our anchor in the storms of life. Let's pray and ask him to do it for us. Dear Heavenly Father, if there is one here who doesn't know you, who hasn't trusted in your promise of salvation through Jesus Christ, I pray that you would convict their hearts of their sin they would see just how broken they are. That they would see how sinful they are and how much in need of your grace they are. I pray that if there is someone here who accepted a prosperity gospel and is now doubting you, that you would help them to count the cost. to Show them what it means to be a Christian. What it means to repent of sin and turn to Christ for salvation. I pray that you would change their hearts. And Father, I pray for each one of us here who will face suffering in our lives, that you would change our perception of this life, that we would understand suffering is a part of following you. And I pray that when those storms come, you would uphold us by the anchor of your word you would uphold us by your precious and powerful and faithful promises. Father, if there's someone who is going through a trial now, some difficulty, some pain or sorrow, I pray that you would open their eyes to see who you are, that you would cause them to know you, that you are the Lord, that you would cause them to trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we respond to the Lord, let's stand and sing hymn number 334, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. I'll be available to pray with you or if you, you are in need. Please respond where you are, or I'll be happy to, to pray with you or speak with you. However you respond, let's respond.